When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name is Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this, this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. As they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were very sorrowful and began to say one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I don't know what you uh, did to prepare yourself uh, for lockdown this week. Uh, what were the preparations that you made uh, for this time that we're in now. Uh, did you go out and do an extra big shop? Um, which is the reason why there's lots of empty shelves, isn't there? Um, was that the way you prepared uh, for the lockdown? Um, Eddie started school uh, this week, nursery. We're calling it school so that he um, is excited by it, I guess. Nursery is a bit of a weird word. Um, but we prepared him in advance, didn't we? we? Like two weeks ago, we were talking about school, the fact that Eddie was going to go to school. 
um, and that he was, you know, what he would expect there. Um, so that when he knew, he knew that when we dropped him off, that we would say, mummy and daddy would say bye bye, and he kept on telling us that. I guess it didn't make uh, the experience any any less uh, traumatic for him, um, but hopefully it did a little bit. And we're going to be looking at these chapters of Matthew, and we're going to see the preparations uh, for Jesus's death. And the, uh, and the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is prepared to die. That means he himself is prepared and other people are preparing him for that. And we've seen that in those verses. So please do keep them open in front of you. The first thing we're going to see, and it should come up on the screen, is that Jesus, only Jesus' death can make sinners safe. Only Jesus' death can make sinners safe. All of the gospel writers, if you look at the, the gospels, they spend almost a third of their account of Jesus's life uh, concerning the last few days. It's a bit weird, isn't it? If there, someone wrote an autobiography of me and just wrote the last three days of my life, um, that would be weird. Why? Well, it must be that they saw it as the climax of Jesus's life. And the preparations that are described in this chapter by Matthew must be more than just the setup for what's to come. By them, we actually understand why Jesus had to die. Jesus' death should come as no surprise to us. It's what Jesus has been telling the disciples on numerous occasions up until now. Jesus has told them exactly how he's going to die. In chapter 20, verse 19, he said, that Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles to be flogged, mocked and crucified. It's very detailed, isn't it? And even if we somehow manage to miss all of those uh, announcements of Jesus, Matthew stuffs this chapter full of references to Jesus's death. It's just around the corner. So let's look at some of them together. You see in verse two, uh, it says in chapter 26, it says that the son of man will be delivered over to be crucified. That's in verse two. It is here that Jesus tells them when, when that's going to happen. He says, you know that after two days, Jesus knows when it's going to happen. On, on this de detail, actually, Jesus is more in the know than those who will actually kill him. Because if you look at what they say in verse five, their intention is to sit it out for a week until after the Passover to avoid a social disturbance, they say, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Jesus knows it will happen in two days. And they think it's going to happen in more than a week. Jesus is the one in the know. There's other references to Jesus' death in this chapter, and I think you probably would have heard them as we went through. Um, in verses 6 to 13, you get this scene where a woman bursts in on the house that Jesus is in and uh, smashes this bottle of perfume, which was for anointing, over his head. And when the disciples say, what, what's going on? That's a waste. Jesus says, she has anointed me uh, for my burial in verse 12. A reference to Jesus' death. In verses 14 to 25... You find out who 
is going to betray Jesus and uh, give the inside track to where he is so that people could arrest him. Uh, in ver verses 17 to 26, there's this Passover meal, which we're actually going to look at in a bit more detail. In verses 26 to 28, Jesus takes some bread and says, this is my body, which will be broken. And he takes a cup and says, this is my blood that's going to be poured out. I mean, if you needed any more graphic detail about the violent death, Jesus is going to die. That's it. Um, in verses in verse 31, let's just have a look at that. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So all of these are references to some violence that is coming against Jesus. And he has said what it will be. Jesus knows where, he knows how, and he knows when his death is going to take place. He even knows who's going to betray him. All this proves to us that this was his plan before it was anyone else's. In fact, it was always the plan. Jesus quotes from the first half of the Bible, which is uh, years and years, hundreds of years before. But there's a second theme in this chapter. I don't know if you picked it up uh, as we went through. And you certainly uh, from reading Exodus 12, uh, you might have got what we're going to be talking about tonight. There's a second theme that gets just as much a mention in this chapter as Jesus's death. It's about seven times it gets mentioned. The Passover is there in verse two. Jesus says, now, after two days, the Passover is coming. Now, I don't expect the Passover to immediately hold much significance for you. I'm not Jewish. You're not Jewish. Uh, but it must if we are to understand why Jesus had to die, because Jesus makes a link. This chapter is just one big link between uh, Jesus's death, which is referred to so many times, and this event, which is the Passover. So what is Passover? Well, we had our reading from Exodus 12, which takes us back to the evening before the Exodus. God's people uh, being able to f being set free from their slavery in Egypt. The instructions that night, which the Passover meal replayed, were to make a simple meal of unleavened bread or unleavened dough and to sacrifice a young unblemished lamb. Now, that meal would sustain them for a long journey that they were to take. But more than that, the blood was to be painted around the doorposts. Why? Well, in judgment on those who defied God in Egypt and in order to free his people from that slavery, uh, the angel of the Lord would come and in every household in Egypt, the firstborn would die. Israelite and Egyptian. The only thing that could prevent and keep God's people safe was the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Those households with the blood would be safe. The firstborn would be spared. The angel of the Lord would literally pass over. Those without it, he would not. Judgment is coming. And uh, that's the way that God got people ready for it um, on that night in Egypt. 
All in Egypt the following morning could tell us uh, whether they were grieving the loss of their firstborn or waking to find them unscathed. Just think about it, it's like the equivalent of Eddie in our household, Eddie in the Warres household, um, you know, other people as well, I'm sure. Uh, a Clinton. Uh, all of the people in Egypt could have told them, told us what they learnt. And they would have said that the only thing that will keep anyone safe from God's judgment when it comes is the substitute God provides for sin. The only thing that's going to keep anyone safe from God's judgment when it comes is the substitute God provides for sin. And so, and so that generations to come would know it too, they'd replay that meal. So I've got my cup here and my bread. And so that people would remember that time and that night, they were to replay these scenes using that meal. The, the Jewish uh, father would pick up the unleavened bread and he'd actually say, this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate um, at, in the wilderness. He would say, this is the bread of affliction. Well, what's all that got to do with Matthew 26? Well, why does Jesus choose this, the Passover, as his last, as the last meal? Why does he say in verse, um, verses 17 to 19, that they are to go and prepare. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And then from the, the, the rest of that bit we read is all about what happens at that meal. Why does he do that? And why does Jesus choose this meal to identify his betrayer, which he does in verse 27, uh, 21? And as they were eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Judas, who would betray him, verse 25, says, Is it I? And Jesus said to him, You have said so. Won't doing that just accelerate the timing of Jesus' death? Won't it just bring it on sooner? Because now that Judas knows that his cover has been blown, He's going to have to move much more quickly. Why is Jesus doing that? Why at this meal, at this particular meal, does Jesus take up a cup of wine and some bread in verses 26 to 28? And why does he say these words? As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, uh, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Well, it must be that Jesus is showing us that the Passover and his death are linked. Mustn't it? I mean, Jesus chooses this meal at this time 
and he chooses this time to lay down his life. Um, and he brings it forward even. Instead of speaking of past redemption in Egypt when picking up those items off the table, he speaks of his own death. Jesus is making every link possible in this chapter between the Passover and the death he is to die. So why is he doing that? What are we meant to see about his death? Well, that's our point, isn't it? Only Jesus' death can make sinners safe. Jesus wants there to be no doubt in our minds that his death is for sin. And therefore, it's the only way to be safe in the coming judgment. The death of the lamb, a mark of the blood on the door, was just a preview of this greater and final rescue. After all, no animal is a fit swap for sinful people, is it? But Jesus is a man. He's the perfect man. And he is. Well, what does this mean for, for, for you, if you're hearing this for the first time? Well, it means that anything other than the death of Jesus that we put confidence in, in well, it can't do that. It can't keep us safe from God's judgment. It means that without this, his death, we are not safe. God is a just God. He must punish all the evil in our world and in our hearts. He is not biased. His judgment falls in Egypt on Israelites and Egyptians alike. And that his judgment is coming. It will either fall on Jesus at the cross or it falls on us. Those who have provoked him to anger in eternal punishment. That's what we've seen. Only Jesus' death can make sinners safe. You won't understand the full weight, the full purpose of Jesus' death if you don't see that there's a judgment uh, and a safety, a security that we need, a protection. Uh, but the second thing that has really encouraged me uh, from this chapter, and I think it's a particular lesson for us as a church, is my second point. Jesus' death is saving people today because it relies on him and not on fearful followers. Jesus' death is saving people today because it relies on him and not on fearful followers. For this, we'll pick up where Jesus speaks of events wider than the immediate things. So look at verse 13. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, speaking of this woman, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then let's look at verses 31 through to 35. They've just sung the hymn, they've finished the meal, they've sung the hymn and they've gone out to the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus is going to be given up and arrested. And Jesus says to them, you, speaking to the disciples, will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep uh, of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. This is particularly poignant, isn't it? 
when you consider the parts that the disciples are going to play in the events that are to follow? Basically none. <laughs> they're not going to play a part at all because they're going to cut and run. Jesus says that they will all fall away on account of me. And yet he also reassures them, doesn't he? Because the very next thing he says is what he will do after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. They may have thought at this point that to deny Jesus was a deal breaker. One writer put it like this. This short dialogue illustrates Jesus' remarkable concern for his chosen band of followers. Even in the face of his own impending suffering, he is aware that the, on the coming ordeal will be too much for them. And so he continues to devote time to warning, explaining, preparing them. In this way, though they will still fail him at first, it will be possible for them to come to terms with the experience afterwards. What we see here is that if Jesus's journey to the cross had relied on any of the disciples, simply and surely it would have failed. And if the, what Jesus predicts in verse 13, the proclamation of this uh, gospel to the whole world, if it had relied on those same faltering, fearful and faithless men, it would have failed too. And yet it didn't fail. And that's because it didn't depend on them. We've been seeing Jesus' sovereign control in action here in the details leading up to his death. He knows when, he decides where, he decides who, and he decides how. And if, if it depends on Jesus, then it will happen, just as he says it will. Seeing his amazing control, even over those who opposed him in these verses... It reminds us that his gospel will not fail. Jesus says that he will be raised and go before the Galilee. We'll look at what Jesus says when we get to this passage in just a few weeks time. And Tim is going to come and help us to think about that. But standing at our point in history, we know that Jesus did rise from the dead. He did go before them and he did gather them in Galilee. It was them that he sent out. And through whom his death has been proclaimed everywhere. All over the world. And it will continue then. Because it depends on him and not on us. It will continue through those who are faltering and fearful. Like me and like you. It will continue because it relies on Jesus. Who is with his people by his spirit. So when we're tempted... And I think we are, aren't we, to think this talk of Jesus' death and blood and sacrifice, is this, is this really the message that's going to transform the world? Is this really the message that my friends need to hear? Sometimes I think we're tempted to think it sounds a bit too grim or gruesome, aren't we? It's all the talk of death and blood. and ugh. Or maybe we think it's too provocative to tell people that they're sinners. We can be sure, can't we, that the truth of Jesus' death for sin is the truth that will save. Because it relies on Jesus and not on us. 
It's not because we are great at explaining it. It's not because we have the best ideas or the best skills, but because it relies on him and not on me. Jesus did everything that was needed to make sure that he would go to the cross. And he did absolutely everything that was needed to make sure that that news, that message of the cross, went to all people everywhere. And he will do that. I think this helps us as well because we can be tempted, can't we, to sort of change the message of the cross to make it a bit more acceptable. I think one of the ways we might be tempted to do that is to say that it's just an example of sacrificial love. So other people give up their life for people. This is just an, uh, an example, maybe even the greatest example of sacrificial love. And uh, although there's something true in that, we need to say why that death was necessary, just like the blood on the doors. It doesn't make sense, does it, if there's just a death and somehow it magically fixes everything. It's only when you realise that there's a judgment coming, that God is going to punish sin. And when that's clear, people will understand why Jesus had to die. Why his death means that he takes on all of that uh, on our behalf. The cross is the place where you see most clearly the wrath of God, the anger of God at sin, and the mercy of God to, to save sinners. It's where it's clearest and where you see it most. We need to say why that death was necessary when we're talking to people. Because otherwise we're not really telling them the gospel. Jesus is the sin substitute. He takes on the judgment of God that would otherwise fall on us. God meted his righteous anger at our sin on Jesus. So why don't we uh, remind ourselves that Jesus is the one who is in control and it's his journey to the cross. It's his cross that is the power to save people. Let's pray. Father God, we confess um, that um, we think that your way of doing things is often um, just just mysterious to us uh, perhaps even we look we look down on it sometimes because we think that we have a better way and yet really there is no other way that sin can be paid for and that sinners can be safe from your judgment but please would you help us to see that tonight as we reflect on that passover night that night of real terror i guess where people were fearful and yet they awoke to see that your promise was true, that the blood really was enough. The death of the substitute really was enough to keep them safe. We pray that we would not cling to other things to keep us safe, to be, have our confidence in. We, we do thank you in some ways that you're exposing that through this lockdown. There's other things that, that just won't go the distance. And yet please, please would you get us ready um, through your death. Uh, for our sins, for our forgiveness, for the day when we stand before you, from the day when you return. Amen.